Welcome to the LifePoint Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ through intentionally serving, giving, and caring for our neighbor. We bring you Christ-centered messages from our pastors each Sunday, as well as engaging discussions relevant to your life. So grab a cup of coffee, get comfortable, and join us as we strive to grow as followers of Christ and make a positive impact in our community. Good morning. Morning. Welcome to Live Point. We're glad you're here. I always forget we're actually recording this one. Thank you for watching online. We got to like be all professional, but you know me, that is not going to work out well. Hey, I have a couple of announcements. Why don't you open your Bible to Psalm 88? Psalm 88, and I will give these announcements. First is this this coming Saturday is a life care work day. Can I tell you for the last two months, we've had more than 30 people show up and been able to accomplish more than a dozen jobs. This is like revolutionary for LifePoint. Sometimes it's the same five guys, but you have been showing up and coming out and it is a huge deal. It's a huge witness to our neighborhood. Let people know we love them. And so we've got five new jobs for this Saturday. I want to tell you what they are. And, uh, If you want, you can sign up online or you show up here, I believe at 8 a.m. on Saturday, right? Okay, I'm getting the thumbs up from the back. Here's what we got. One's just a yard cleanup for a recently divorced single mom who's battling cancer and valley fever. So this is someone we wanna make sure that we help and uh, doesn't have to go out there and clean up her yard herself, obviously. We have an elderly woman with arthritis who can't physically take care of the weeds. Uh, A yard cleanup for a widow who is here in our church. Sprinkler repair for a single mom who's also battling cancer, amongst other issues. And this is actually uh, the woman who at one point really hated the church, hated specifically this church, and let social media know. And then a while back, we went out and did a life care. She didn't realize life care was connected to Life Point. And now she loves us, and we love her, and we're so grateful how God works. It's pretty awesome. So we love her. We want to take care of this issue as well. Um, help her fix her sprinklers. And then last but not least, it says, need a couple of tech-minded guys to install a ring camera. The husband has had a stroke and is wheelchair-bound, and the wife would like to feel safe. So those are the jobs you meet here. We've got most of the equipment. If there's anything you need to bring, when you sign up, give us your email, and you'll know in the email when it goes out this week. Otherwise, just bring yourself and some gloves. And uh, I believe the Bible talks about even an evil man will die for his friend, right? but it takes someone great to die for a stranger. Well, even an evil man will help their neighbor when it's 70 degrees, but it takes someone special to do it when it's 110 in July in Arizona. Come on, let's be those somebody special this next Saturday, next Saturday. And last but not least, men, you did it. You did it. You missed the deadline for early bird. Well done. You now have to pay an extra $20 to go to the men's retreat, but it'll be worth it. We have only 45 spots left. I shifted from last week from saying we only have 45 spots available to only 45 spots left. So if you don't sign up soon, you're going to be in that position where instead of being like, oh, please sign up, we're going to say, I'm sorry, we're full. So men, go sign up. Um, It's only six weeks away. You won't regret it or uh, your money back. Okay? I didn't say your money back. I said, Jesus will love you. Anyway, (laughs) 
Hey, Psalm 88. Psalm 88. We are in the Psalms. The Psalms are songs. They are prayers. It is the full redemptive process, the fall and redemption of man. It's prophecy. It's 150 chapters of just completely God-inspired song and prayer. And this is sort of what we've been going through for the last month. And this morning, we're looking at Psalm 88. Psalm 88. Did anybody read Psalm 88 this week? Get my email. Okay. We have a few. I see those hands. We, we need more hands up. Come on now. All right. Psalm 88. Is it a cheerful psalm? No. It is not. Does it have a good resolution to it at least at the end? No, it doesn't. You're like, now wait a minute. Psalms are supposed to, if you're mad at God or you're yelling at him, if you've ever read a psalm, you know that by the end of it, sort of like what uh, 86 does, right? 86 is a psalm of supplication, like, I need you, Lord, I need you, I need to trust you. And it ends with this, show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, O Lord, have helped and comforted me. That's the end of Psalm 87. It's beautiful. It wraps it up. He says, Lord, here's all my problems, but at the end of the day, you love me and you comfort me. I want you to keep that in your mind because I'm going to read Psalm 88 for you here, and you're going to see a stark difference between the two. But by the time we're done here this morning, you're going to see the incredible hope, beauty, and power that exists in Psalm 88 that maybe you didn't see before. Because I'm telling you, for a man or a woman who can pray this with the truth, pray this as their truth, oh, it's powerful. Here we go. This is by Heman the Ezraite. Does anybody know him? It's okay. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you, and would you turn your ears to my cry? I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. Does anybody relate so far to Heman's prayer? I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one who has no strength. I'm set apart with the dead into the slain, like, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You've overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You've taken me from my closest friends. You've made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes have been dimmed with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. But do you show your wonders to the dead? Is it the spirits who rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave or your faithfulness, faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, I, my prayer comes before you. So why do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my mouth I have suffered and I have been so close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me and your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood and they've completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor and darkness is my closest friend. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, 
Help us to see what Haman saw. Help us to trust like he did. And Father, give us a resolve like he had. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two psalms out of 150 psalms. There are only two that end without resolution. Can you believe that? Psalm 39 is the other one. It's a psalm of King David. It doesn't end with resolution. It doesn't end with, Lord, even though I'm saying all of this, I know you've got it in control. That one actually ends with, turn your face away from me and just let me die. How can we read a psalm like this and be excited about a good and loving God? How can we have hope for our future? How can we look and say that indeed he is good when even this man who cries out to him day and night, who starts his morning with prayer, who is seeking him constantly if God won't even answer him, if God won't relieve his suffering, who am I that God would come and relieve mine? Is this making sense? This is what thoughts came across my mind as I read this. You see, Christians, and particularly us, American Christians, we have a bit of a naivete about the inevitability of suffering in this life. In most other parts of the world, there is an expectation that life is going to be hard. Getting food for the day is hard. Shelter is hard, right? Keeping your kids safe is hard. As a country, we have taken the hard out of most all of that and tried to make it easy, comfortable, and accessible. And so we have this certain mindset in going to Christianity that it will be easy, comfortable, and accessible. And we have a naive, we're naive that, that suffering, because there's sin in this world, it, it's a part of it. That when you come to God, He doesn't just stop all your suffering. Rather, he uses it to grow you, to make you stronger, to steal your resolve. So when things go wrong, they don't overcome you, but you have the power to overcome them. And that's what I want to show you this morning. You read a song like this, and it feels at first like that's kind of a depressing song, Pastor. I'm telling you, when you understand the words and what is going on in this psalm, you will have the power to overcome anything that life throws at you. You will understand the authority given to you through Christ Jesus. And you will stop walking this life in fear and timidity and giving up prayers scared. Rather, you will be bold. You want that? Does that sound hopeful? Does that sound exciting? Does that sound depressing? Come on. Yes to all the first questions, no to the last one, by the way. I realized I asked two different questions that released two different answers there. So here we go. Darkness, darkness in your life. Last week we talked about the wilderness, and this is, I love how God works. I didn't even have this psalm planned until after last week. I started reading on Monday. Bam, God's like Psalm 88. We talked about the wilderness. We talked about how there was a rock in the wilderness for the Israelite people. What happened? Water came out of the rock, right? It supplied their needs. And then what else came out of the rock? Honey supplied their wants, that God is not just there to supply our needs, but also the sweetness of who he is, right? All right, there's two types of darkness that we're talking about here. One is external circumstances. Anybody have anything happen this week outside of your control that wasn't good? Anybody? Look around so you see you're not alone. 
Okay, yeah, right? So those are external circumstances. You lose somebody who's close to you. That's an external circumstance, whether it's to death or broken relationship. But here's the thing. We don't just have external darkness and things that are going on that we're having to deal with and cope and live with. We also have what we call an internal or spiritual darkness. And what we can see here in verse 1 of what we read is the Lord, it says, O Lord, the God of my salvation, or the God who saves me. So this is a man who trusts God and has given his life and serves the Lord. Okay? That's it's important to know. He's not just somebody yelling at this God and he's walking away. He's saying, no, no, you are the God of my salvation. But he doesn't feel it. He doesn't feel like God is saving him. He doesn't feel like he can trust God. He doesn't feel like he can sense his presence. In fact, some would say he's being downright blasphemous in his prayer. We'll get to that in a second. He feels God's wrath on him. He says he feels God's anger. He says sweeping over him like the waves and destroying him. He feels abandoned, rejected, trampled upon by God. And we sang a song that says, I trust you, Lord. I sought after you, and you answered me. Heman says, God, I'm seeking after you, and I'm hearing nothing. Nothing. In fact, the darkness is a closer friend to me than you right now. Who knows? Who has ever been that honest with the Lord? Come on. That's a good place to be. If you don't really believe he's there, you're not that honest. If he hasn't put faith, and if he hasn't revived, you haven't been that honest. Come on. So it's one thing to have external darkness, right? Circumstances going on around you. It's another thing when you have that happening, but you're also internally struggling. Does that make sense? You can sort of deal with that when inside you feel God's presence and you hear his voice and your relationship is going good and you read the scriptures and you're like, yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I needed. And when you pray, it's just like fire. And when there are those times where you're like, where are you? And then you have stuff going on outside becomes too much, so to speak. It can become difficult to handle, to comprehend. It becomes difficult to worship. Has anybody ever found it difficult to worship the Lord when you've been struggling both internally and with external pressures? So at the heart of this psalm, it's giving us this sort of really tough message that you can be a good person, a believer redeemed by God, who prays and reads their Bible and attends their church, and still endure suffering. And still have it go on past when you would like it to for a long time. So what do you do with that? First thing I want to say is it begins with expectations. There's a song that says, God, you've never let me down. And I can remember years ago, I played it for a men's group. We were up north and I played it. It was a, it was a small men's group. And... Uh, thought you were talking about my men's group. And one of the guys said, that's not true. And he stopped it. And he said, that line, you've never let me down. I'm sorry, but that's not true. And I was like, yes, it is. 
And he said, no, God has let me down numerous times. And I said, no, he's let your expectations of him down, but he's never let you down. What did I mean by that? Allow me to give you this analogy. If you walked up to a door in a hallway and the person taking you there said, when you walk in, this is the presidential suite. What do you have in your mind of what that room's going to be like? Bougie? That's a great word, yes. Probably like five million thread count sheets made of silk, a jacuzzi tub, right? A big kitchen, a massive TV, a beautiful view. Are we getting the picture of a presidential suite? No. no. <laughs> this is why we're at church. Come on now. I heard minibar. No. Yes, all of that. Presidential suite. They didn't spare any expense. And then you walk in, and it's like a glorified Motel 6. It's got a little kitchenette. It's got a bed. Uh, your own private bathroom. That's neat, right? It may be clean. It may not. Who knows? And you're just, what happens? Your expectations just, ugh. Now, same hallway, same door, same room, but when you walk up, the person says, for the next month, this is where you'll be. Here is your prison cell. Now, what do you think of? 10 by 10 room? <laughs> you probably got some bunk mates, no privacy, locked bars, cement floors, and now you walk in. And what do you see? You see you got a little balcony, a little kitchenette, your own bathroom. You don't care that it's dirty anymore, it's private. <laughs> you got a bed, you got a TV. You see the circumstances didn't change. Your expectations did. If you come to Christ and, and you come to the God who created you and you say, all right, I'm here now, it's time to be blessed. And your idea of blessing is no more suffering, no more difficulty, no more pain, that God comes to you and answers you whenever you ask for things and he gives them to you the way you want him to. You have presidential sweet expectations in a world, in a world that is not your home. How do you understand the truth of who God is? and the fact that you are getting something much greater than a presidential suite, but inside of this life, you're going to experience trials, difficulties, and suffering. How do you come to grips with that? It's tough, right? This is where most Christians, this is where most of my counseling happens, in places where it feels like we have prayed, we have cried out to God, and He hasn't answered us. We prayed for a year that he would save my mother's life, and he didn't. And now not only is she gone, but I don't feel his presence. He's not near me. How do you deal with that? This is what this is about. Your expectations will control how you experience the circumstances of life. So, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. So you're saying... When I become a Christian, I just need to expect my life to go straight to hell and everything to be terrible and God to never answer me. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to understand that in both the blessings of your life and the trials of your life, God intends to use them to grow and build you into the mighty oak that he has. So if you always see the trials as him not listening or not caring or he has abandoned you, 
then you will always see those as him not loving when in reality he is preparing you for something and a weight, a glory much greater than what you can even imagine. So you trust him in those periods of time. You trust him. So how do you do that? Well, number two for our points here is darkness. The darkness that is spoken of here can show you God's grace. This is a prayer after all. He's talking to God, right? It's a prayer, it's a song, and all the way through he's talking to God, but he's not controlling his temper. He's not giving a very church response to God. He is raw and emotional, and he is coming before God. Look at verse 10 through 12, verses 10 through 12. Do you show your wonders to the dead? That's a rhetorical, sarcastic, blasphemous sentence. What he's saying is, excuse me, God, but I've given you my life, and I don't see a single miracle. Is it the dead that you give your miracles to? Could you imagine if your kid talked to you like that? Oh, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. I'm here as your child, and I don't see a single bit of dessert after my broccoli. (laughs) Is it the dead you give the dessert to? (laughs) Do those who are dead rise up and praise you for dessert? Is your love declared in the grave? Is your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Can't you just see your kids just getting super emotional like this? I mean, he, he is bearing his soul. But you've got to hear what he's saying. Through these words, he's saying, I want to praise you. I want to speak of your deeds of righteousness, and I want to declare your faithfulness into the world, but how can I do that when all I feel is beat up by you and rejected and trampled upon? When all I feel is like you've abandoned me and deserted me, how can I tell people? Don't you want me to tell people of your faithfulness? He's not speaking very reverently, is he? Very respectfully. There's a man named Derek Kidner who wrote a commentary on the Psalms, and this is what he says regarding Psalms 39, the other one that doesn't end with a resolution, and Psalm 88. Psalm 39 ends with, turn your face away from me, God, so I can have some peace before I die. Psalm 88 says, darkness is my closest friend. So what Kidner says is this, the very presence of these prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding that he knows how men speak when they are desperate and he does not censor them. If you're going to put a book out for the rest of the world to see, and it's all about you and your righteousness and your majesty, why would you include these two chapters of these men just totally yelling at you without being punished? Like, there should be a place later where it says, Heman died for his prayer to the Lord. And then we'd be like, see, that's why you don't pray like that. God will take you out. But we know that's not true. David's the other one who prays Psalm 39, and he's a man after God's own heart. God understands who we are. God doesn't take us out. He doesn't censor these psalms. He includes them because you need them. You need to understand the heart behind the men who are praying them, singing them. And what these men understood even though we are seeing their most vulnerable, their their most terrible time, 
they understood this, that the time in the darkness can turn you into someone great. Times in the darkness will turn you into someone great. The book of Job starts with Satan taunting God, right? The very beginning, Satan says, does Job really serve you for nothing? I think not. He serves you because you give the man everything. He's got a great wife and beautiful kids and all the livestock you could want and land and money and health. And I mean, no wonder he follows you. You call them your, you call them your devoted followers, but they only follow you because you serve them. This is the accusation from Satan. And you know what's crazy is he's not totally wrong. Remember, for something to be a lie, it doesn't need to be 100% wrong. It just needs to not be fully true. He says, look, they understand if they do all this, you're going to answer their prayers. You're going to take them to heaven. They're going to feel good about themselves. You really think they serve the poor? because they love the poor? No, it makes them feel good about themselves. And then also they can come to you in prayer and be like, look at me, God, I went out to the life care on Saturday morning in July in Arizona. Don't you think we could do a little, little transaction here? Satan says, I can prove it. Send some of them into darkness. Don't answer their prayers for a while. Don't let them sense your presence at all. Take away all their earthly comforts. Let everyone turn against them and watch. They will curse you to your face. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? Go ahead. But he's basically right, right? There's so much of what he said which is true, which is many of us, come to the Lord, or we came to the Lord at first because we needed something. We were stuck in addiction. We were desperate. We were lonely. We were scared. Maybe some preacher when you were a kid scared you about hell. And so you said a prayer so you wouldn't go to hell. But you didn't love Jesus yet. You didn't know who he was and what he's done for you, but you said a prayer so you didn't go to hell. And so then what happens is you build on that relationship, if you can call it a relationship, where you keep praying to God to keep doing things for you, and as long as he keeps doing things for you, you'll go ahead and keep giving him your loyalty. But as soon as he feels distance, or as soon as he doesn't answer, it's sort of like all bets are off. Because your relationship was never established on something greater than a transaction. I want to show you something so cool here. Here's what we see in this. I promised you that I was going to show you the hope in this, and, and this is where it comes. What we can see here is that Satan has another thing coming. Satan is pointing out the self-centeredness and the selfishness of the human heart to God. But something's happened in the psalmist's heart. Something's happened. You see, everything he does in the psalm, he's praying to God. We don't have this because he just wrote it as an angry anti-God letter. This is a prayer to God. He says, you are the God of my salvation, not you were the God of my salvation until I cried out to you day and night and you did not answer. He says, you are the God of my salvation, even though I cry out day and night and you don't answer. 
Do you think that makes a difference? Oh, come on, it's all the difference. He is staying with God. He is continuing to cling to him even though he feels that he is being trampled and beat up by him. What does that mean? Well, it means Satan's been defeated, friends. The very self-centered human heart the heart that Jesus himself said, from the heart flows all wickedness, malice, greed, gossip, lust, deceitful, has been redeemed. That it can actually be changed. That it can be bought back. That it can be brought to life. You were born dead in your trespasses. Obviously, I've said this before, you weren't physically dead, you're still alive. You were born spiritually dead in your trespasses. And so God is going to breathe new life into that heart, that place from which all that nastiness flows. And he's going to raise up something so great you won't even believe it's happening. This man in Psalm 88 is worshiping God even though he's getting nothing out of it. Even though God is not even not just not answering his prayers, but it almost feels like God is actively against him. I'll be honest, it's funny because I don't know if Heman, the, the author of this, went through this personally or if he like read Job and then wrote this psalm. Because this is Job's life. A man who sought God and then everybody started to fall away from him. His family died and then his friends gave him terrible advice. If you're here today and you have walked through dark times with the Lord or you are hanging on by a thread and you're like, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. I'm telling you to hold on. He's doing a work in you that, remember what was the verse last week? John 13, 7? You don't understand it now, but later you will. God, I don't like you. I don't understand you. I'm mad at you but I'm not going anywhere. I shared this a few weeks back, but it's pertinent again because I hadn't read Psalm 88 when I shared this. Uh, but in the end of May was my wife and I's anniversary and we got back from eating dinner and we were sitting talking and I had been going through a difficult six months that I hadn't really expressed verbally. It just was there, Right? And here's what I was feeling. What I was feeling is like when I'm on this stage on Sunday morning, I could feel God and I could feel the presence of his Holy Spirit when I spoke. And it was truly him. It's not me. Trust me, I'm not that smart. I'm not that educated. And so I know it's not me. I'm, 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 I know that much. But then I would get off this stage and I would go into my week and I would feel empty. And I would read and I would pray and I would meet with other pastors and I would cry out and I would ask for signs and I would ask for questions and I would pray for other people and I just felt nothing. And so we, we got back after our dinner date and we're sitting in the backyard and I, I just was real honest finally and I said, I don't know if I believe in all this anymore. That's a scary thing for a pastor to admit to people who are listening to him. I don't know if I believe all this. Here's what the last six months have been like. Here's what I have been struggling with. And I just begin to break it down. 
I don't know if he's good. I don't know if this is real. I don't know if he heals the way we say he does. I don't know if I'm supposed to preach like this or if I'm supposed to preach like this. He won't answer me. And it's funny, we're just sort of sitting there and she just let me vent, which is great. She didn't try to fix it or be like, oh, you better stop saying that. We're going to get struck by lightning. And none of that. She let me vent. And then I just said, I don't know, though. I'm not going anywhere. Where else would I go? I'm not going anywhere. I just had to say to somebody what's been going on. But if this is how the rest of my life is, I'll serve him with this silence for the rest of my life because of who he is and who I am. You see, I'm a creature. I'm a creation who was created by the creator. Not only that, but then he sought to reach down and actually reveal himself to me. And after he revealed himself to me, he gave me the choice to choose, and he upheld me to choose him, and then he brought life into my dead spirit. If he doesn't do anything else again past that, I will give the rest of my life to him. But here's the beauty of our Lord. He's going to do so much more beyond that. Your testimony, your life, your experience, he's going to begin to spread like wildfire to those when you trust in him, when you walk through the darkness, when you cry out in anger to him, but you say, I'm not going anywhere. He is going to use it to then steal your resolve. You keep hearing me say that because I want you to picture, I just want you to picture something that is strong but a, a, a strong hurricane or a storm could knock it over. Now imagine that thing has just been covered in steel and nothing can knock it over. That is what he is doing to you in the darkness. Right? An oak tree, you plant it and it grows, but you don't sit by it every day and talk to it. You don't watch every single inch of its growth. You go and you tend to it and you care for it, but at some point you got to grow up you got to remember that God has given you His promises right here. Who He is is right here, and who you are is right here. So at some point, He's like, son, you got to grow up. You know I'm there. You know you don't wake up a single day and take a single breath without me. So grow up. I'm here with you. I'm being patient with you. I love you. But grow up. God is building you into something that cannot be destroyed. When Bonhoeffer was in jail at the end of his life, this is the man who gave up everything to stand against his country and an idea that a certain race of people were not actually human and to give his life to stand in the gap and preach the truth of Jesus Christ. And then when he could have gotten out of jail and just left other people in there, he didn't. He went he prayed. He believed. There were people praying for him. This is going to be a Peter moment. God's going to set him free. And the reports from the guards when he walks to the gallows and is hung just weeks before American troops came in and set everybody in that prison free is that there was complete peace in him. He knew where he was. He knew whose he was. And if God doesn't spare him from these gallows, then he gets to go meet him today. He wasn't going to curse him. He wasn't going to weep and cry and be scared and yell at God. 
He, God had taken him through some very difficult times. Read the book, read the biography on him, it's incredible. Very difficult times, and it prepared him for that moment in the jail. Now imagine your life without the difficult times. Imagine you have no difficult times. Imagine every want you ever wanted was given to you, right? You were hungry, bam, food was just shoved into your mouth. Right? As babies, that's what we want. What do we do? We take a baby, we just put it right there. Not on me. <laughs> but you get the imagery. We're just like, what's the baby do? <laughs> Bam, food instantly. Baby's tired, lay it down. Don't bother it, don't wake it up. Please don't ring the doorbell. The baby will be angry. When a baby gets a little older, you start to do something called self-soothing. You put them in the crib, and what do you do, parents? you don't go back in there, <laughs> right? We want them to learn you are tired, that's why you're laying down, and if you just keep coming in, the baby's like, oh, all I have to do is keep doing this. I'll never sleep, I'll never get healthy, but if I keep crying, they keep coming back in. Now imagine you doing that with God. God's like, I need to walk away for a minute and shut the door. No, 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 don't go, it's dark. <laughs> there are scary things in here, I, I know. You can do this. I've prepared you, and, and you have my spirit, and you have all the tools necessary. I've returned the authority back unto you. You got this. And we're like, no, please don't go. And God's letting us self-soothe. God's letting us learn to lean on his spirit. And he says, you got this. Do not believe because you feel an emptiness or because you don't feel his presence or you feel like he hasn't answered your prayers that he has left you for one second. Because here's the final point, we're gonna close here. The darkness that you are experiencing is not absolute. It is not final, it is not complete. It is a momentary season that you need to grow up. And it doesn't matter. I don't mean grow up by your age. I mean spiritually, God's wanting to grow you. There is one person who did face absolute and complete total darkness. True darkness. Truly. David's, David's last words in Psalm 39 were, just turn your face away from me, God, so I may die in peace. But there is one man who actually felt the face of God turn from him. Matthew 27, 45. It says, From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came down over all the land. At the ninth hour, Jesus' cross on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open and the bodies of the holy people who had died were raised to life. Jesus received total darkness. He received the full wrath of God and he was completely and absolutely abandoned. You see, that's what the penalty for sin is. Complete abandonment from your creator. God so loves us. God so loves you that he wants to forgive you, but he knew that we never could seek it on our own. And so Jesus took your place. He paid the debt. And he's not about to pay the debt again. <laughs> it was paid once and for all. Right? 
So, you aren't ever going to be completely abandoned. You aren't going to be left into darkness here. It is a season, and Jesus wants you to understand that your debt was paid for through his abandonment. Not just that, but then the authority given to us in Genesis was given back to us through his payment. He experienced ultimate darkness so you would never have to. And here's something I saw a pastor say. If Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane did not walk away from God or from us when he was about to face ultimate darkness, don't you think he's not going to walk away from you when you're facing darkness? It says he will never leave you nor forsake you. The psalmist asks this sarcastic question. You remember me reading that? I made a big deal about it. It's verses 10 through 12. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? <laughs> Matthew 27 says, yep, they sure did. The graves opened up and past saints came walking out praising the Lord. You have all of you sitting in here, born physically alive and spiritually dead. And if you are in here and you are a child of God, you were raised up spiritually from the dead. So, Heman, the answer is yes. He does show his wonders to the dead. And he does do his work in the oblivion. And he will redeem wherever you are at and what you are going through. So, like we sang in the song, I will trust you, Lord. I will trust you, Lord. Jesus Christ, he died for your sins. So the answer is yes. Someday you too will rise from a physical death into a spiritual life. And God is forming and building and molding you now into that person. I just, I felt like after last week's sermon on the wilderness and the rock and the water and the honey, some of you are in here and you're like, I haven't felt water or honey so that sermon wasn't for me. I've just felt darkness. <laughs> well, we got you covered. God's got you covered. I want to play for you the first seven verses of this psalm sung by a group called The Corner Room, and they sing it pretty much verbatim. They sing the psalms verbatim, and it's an incredible tune. It really feel the sorrow and the pain of the author through it. And then we're going to close... Um, we're going to close in communion, worship, and a time of response. Uh, but I want you to hear, sort of, because I couldn't sing it for you, I found someone who could. Um, listen, listen to this.